ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय So, we're reading a very interesting part of the Bhagavad Well, well, it's not that there's any boring parts of the Bhagavatam. <laughs> Got to be careful what you say. But we're just, somehow we just didn't finish the 17th chapter. We left two verses last week. And if you recall, um... As, as, some, as you'd say, you know, Maharaj Prithu was in no mood for it, right? <laughs> you know, sometimes you say like that, I'm in no mood for you. So he was in no mood for uh, the earth, um, complain, uh, saying that she was withholding that. Well, he, he had a reason to be angry. It's interesting, right? Because we talk about Vaishnava anger sometimes, right? And we say that it's... Um, Generally, anger is considered one of the three gates leading to hell, right? We read, is that in the 16th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, right? Lust, anger, and greed. And uh, we also hear in the third chapter of the Gita, Kama Esha, Krota Esha, Raja Guna Samud Bhavaha. Yet we know, uh, and we'll be we're talking about contradictions in a, or apparent contradictions in a few moments, that there are times when a Vaishnava gets angry. What are those? What are the general times that Vaishnava gets anger, angry? If you're harming another devotee, yes. Or, yes, and or speaking ill of them, or, of course, of Krishna. Yeah, speaking ill of Krishna. So here, uh, Prithu Maharaj has a duty, right? He's there to protect the citizens, and they're hungry. So that's why he's angry. He's not just like, you know, you know the earth uh, cut him off on the uh, beltway or something, you know. <laughs> you know. Or something like that. He's uh, angry for for a reason because his service is to protect the uh, and see to the the general satisfaction of the praja of the the members of uh, of his kingdom, which includes, by the way, a praja as as we know from other parts of the Bhagavatam. Praja doesn't just mean the human beings; it also includes the animals and everyone. So he's he, you know and and he. He's no pushover, because we're going to find it in the few, first few verses of the next chapter. Even after, you know, Bhumi tries to pass, he's, you know, he doesn't give, you know, he wants, um, what is it, what's it, uh, you know, you can say sweet words, but actions speak louder than words. So he, you know, he wants a plan. And finally he gets a plan uh, in the 18th chapter that we'll be studying today. And then he's like, okay, right. Uh, it's just like that time with uh, Satsurup Maharaj, where Satsurup Maharaj uh, was Prabhupada's secretary, and he sent a letter to some important person, and, and Prabhupada said in the letter, it enclosed is such and such, and Satsurup Maharaj forgot to put the enclosure, right? And so Satsurup Maharaj was apologizing, this and that, I'm so low. Prabhupada wasn't pacified by anything until Satsurup Maharaj says, oh, I'll write him another letter, I'll apologize for my mistake, and I'll include the enclosure. Then Prabhupada, okay. Right, so, you know, practical. Right. Okay, so we are on text 
34. Is that right? Okay. So who's speaking? Earth, yes. Bumi, yes. My dear Lord, you are always unborn. Once, in the form of the original boar, you rescued me from the waters in the bottom of the universe. Through your own energy, you created all the physical elements, the senses and the heart, for the maintenance of the world. My dear Lord, in this way, you once protected me. So she's reminding him that he protected her, right? By rescuing me from the water. And consequently, your name has been famous as Dara Dara, he who holds the planet Earth. Yet at the present moment, in the form of a great hero, you are about to kill me with sharpened arrows. I am, however, just like a boat on the water, keeping everything afloat. So, you know, she, yeah, it's kind of interesting how she says that. Well, I'm also doing a big service. Don't forget that, right? If you mess me up, then the earth is going to get messed up. <clears throat> My dear Lord, I am also the creation of one of your energies. Is that true? It's true of everything, right? Parashya shaktir vividhaya suyate. That in uh, really, in this world, there's only two things. There's Krishna and Krishna's energies. That's it. Bas. Uh, but as she says, I'm composed of the three modes of material nature. Consequently, I am bewildered by your activities. Even the activities of your devotees cannot be understood and what to speak of your pastimes. Thus, everything appears to us to be contradictory and wonderful. Hmm. Um, what's that? Gosh, I just had it on the tip of my tongue. What's that verse? It's in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that one cannot understand. Vaishnavera Kriya Mudra. Right? What is it? Vigaya. What's the last word? Ruchiya. Right, that one cannot understand the mind of, uh, of Vaishnava. Sometimes, of course. And, and, the, and uh, the example is sometimes given that even if you saw Lord Nityananda walking into a liquor store, I guess they had liquor stores in those days, uh, you would know, you, you um, should understand clearly he's not going there to buy any alcohol, but rather to deliver the people working there. Right. So we'll talk more about this contradictions uh, point in the next verse, because it comes out again, but I'll just read the first few sentences of this purport. The activities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in its various forms and incarnations are always uncommon and wonderful. It is not possible for a tiny human being to estimate the purpose and plans of such activities. Therefore, Srila Jiva Goswami has said that unless the Lord's activities are accepted as inconceivable, they cannot be explained. So I was thinking about this, that for a devotee who's accepted the, uh, the pramana, we use that word pramana, the proof of the Bhagavatam, then it, you know, and they hear some person who's not a devotee, you know, talk about you know talk about the rasa lila or how can uh, a boar come out of the nose of Brahma, and, you know, and, and all the, and the devotee just thinks one who's like fixed in in Vedic knowledge, just like ha, you know, this, this guy's like a, this guy or gal is like an ant 
crawling, you know, on somebody's uh, knee, knee and trying and thinking that it's like a mountain. You know, they just right. There's, they don't have the uh, uh, ability whatsoever to approach Krishna's pastimes in the right frame of mind to actually understand them. And who is this person to say Krishna can't dance in Rasalila? Like, you know, like Krishna cares what you think, <laughs> right? Like he's going to stop the dance because oh, so and so philosopher said, oh, right? <laughs> you know, it's like who cares? I mean, from one point of view, that's a devotee's mindset, isn't it? That who is somebody to talk about the Lord's past? Now, from their point of view, uh, they're probably thinking, well, you know, how can you accept this as God that he dances with so many women in Mary's 16th, you know? But from a devotee's point of view, it's like, give me a break. Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> you know, you're subject to birth, death, disease, and old age, the three modes of material nature, the four cheating propensities, the four material propensities, you know, um, at one time uh, in Australia, the, Prabhupada was talking about uh, some, let's just say, some really, as we would say in air quotes, far out parts of the Bhagavatam. And uh, so a devotee asked Srila Prabhupada at the end of the lecture, well, what about this, uh, you know, such and such? I think it was about uh, Timangila fish or something like that, you know, or something like that or eagles, interplanetary eagles, I think it was, right? And, and Prabhupada said, you know, what do you know? He said, you're, you're just like, you're still in the womb of your mother. <laughs> you know, so you can see how it's like two different points of view, right? A person who's trying to look at the Vedic literature and just saying, oh, come on, that, you really believe that sort of stuff, you know? Brahma comes out of the nostril and he's, you know, on a lotus flower and there's Garbhodakshai Vishnu and all this. And from a devotee's point of view, it's like, who do you think you are that you really, that you really have any entrance into understanding this stuff, right? And that comes out um, in many places, maybe even in the next verse. But we ultimately understand bhaktiya uh, mam avijananti, right? That one avijananti, one knows something, one knows Krishna through devotion. He says this in the, what is that, the 11th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita? I think verse 54, 55, right? So, we, so it's a whole different approach. And, you know, we say it's a science. We talk, I think we talked about this last week, right? We say it's a science, but the problem is it's not just like two test tubes out there. The, the science is you have to, you're the experiment. And some people don't, obviously, for, uh, you know, for many reasons, but ultimately because... Uh, that they uh, want to be the controller and the enjoyer. The last thing they, they really want to do is submit themselves to an experiment <clears throat> where they have to be humble and chant God's names and follow regulated principles and all that sort of stuff. So it's a two totally different approaches in one sense. Um, and there was something else in that short, where'd it go? Report. Oh, so we're on. Oh, it's the same purport, actually. Sorry. So a little further down, one should not take the plural number of the word Ishwaranam to mean that there are many godheads. The fact is that God is one, but he exists eternally and expands himself in innumerable forms and acts in various ways. So that's another seeming contradiction, right? Right? We say, because we, we say, 
um, you know, when Anuttama Prabhu is explaining Krishna consciousness to a to uh, the public, he often says that we're a monotheistic religion. And they say, monotheistic? Well, we got uh, das avatars, and we say there's many incarnations as there are waves in an ocean, right? But a devotee understands that seeming contradiction. Ekala Ishwar, Krishna, you know, the example of uh, the candle and lighting other candles, and they all have the potency of the Supreme Lord. And those are different than the 33 million demigods. That's another thing that's a little hard for some people to wrap their minds around. <laughs> There's a lot of things, right? Um, <clears throat> and Prabhupada writes, and he, Prabhupada speaks about this in the next sentence. He says, uh, sometimes the common man is bewildered by all this, and that could, you could say that all this could include the Bhagavatam, right? Uh, and consider such activities contradictory, but they are not contradictory. There is a great plan behind all the Lord's activities. <clears throat> so, Let's talk a little bit about apparent contradictions. The first thing that came to my mind is um, an example that Sadaputa Prabhu gave many years ago uh, when he was trying to explain the fifth canto, which is obviously not an easy thing to explain. And he gives the example of the third canto. And in the third canto, there's two boar incarnations. Uh, speaking of which, we're just talking about boar, right? We're lifting up the earth. Uh, there's two boar incarnations, the Lord Vishnu. And in certain verses, he writes, that there appears to be some ambiguity in the description of these incarnations. But then Prabhupada cites Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, who says that, in quote, the sage Maitreya amalgamated both the Boar incarnations in different devastations and summarized them in his description to Vidura. That's what Prabhupada writes. And then Sadaputta Prabhu concludes, without this information from Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, we might find it difficult to resolve the apparent contradictions in the story of Lord Varaha. But then having that extra information. So that's one thing, is that we may not have the full information um, when we're dealing with what might be apparent contradictions. And then, um, uh, this is a very important um, verse and purport in the Bhagavad Gita on this topic. Okay, this is from the fourth chapter. The verse is, a person is said to be established in self-realization and is called a yogi or mystic when he is fully satisfied by virtue of acquired knowledge and realization. Such a person is situated in transcendence and is self-controlled. He sees everything, whether it be pebbles, stones, or gold as the same. Okay, so uh, this is getting a little philosophical, but stick with me. So Prabhupada's purport, um, first sentence is very powerful. Book knowledge without realization of the supreme truth is useless. Then he quotes a very important verse, very important verse. Atashi Krishna namadi, nabhavet grayam indriyai, sevan mukhe hi jivado, swayameva sparachaja. That no one can understand the transcendental nature of the name, form, qualities and pastimes of Sri Krishna through the material contaminated senses. Only when one becomes spiritually saturated, that's an interesting word, saturated. What does that mean? Anyone, anyone uh, can, we can't add anything, right? Like, yeah, just, yeah, I think of like, like a sponge that, you know, it's just like almost water's coming out of it because it's totally saturated. Or, <laughs> unfortunately, our, uh, two parking lots here after a big rain and we can't park any cars there because it's saturated with water and cars get stuck, their wheels keep turning around. Right? 
so saturated uh, by transcendental service to the Lord, only then are the transcendental name, form, qualities, and pastimes that the Lord revealed to him. So that, that's the test tube point. We're the test tube, right? If we become saturated by service, then we can understand the name, form, qualities, and pastimes of the Lord. Otherwise, not. Fully, at least. You can to some extent. You know, it's not that we, it's not that Krishna consciousness is not logical, that you can explain it to a logical person and they become impressed with it. But, but let's continue because this, this comes up uh, in this. This Bhagavad Gita is the science of Krishna consciousness. He uses the word science there, right? No one can become Krishna conscious simply by mundane scholarship. That doesn't mean we shouldn't study, memorize verses, but he says, right, it's necessary but not sufficient. One must be fortunate enough to associate with a person who is in pure consciousness. And then here's the famous sentence. Uh, uh, famous two sentences. Uh, a Krishna conscious person has realized knowledge by the grace of Krishna because he is satisfied by pure devotional service. All right, so you're satisfied. That's the, that's the, worst, the word that comes up in the translation. Now listen to this. By realized knowledge, one becomes perfect. Transcendental, by transcendental knowledge, one can remain steady in convictions, but by mere academic knowledge, one can be easily deluded and confused by apparent contradictions. So that's, I, I did a word search for apparent contradictions. And um, so, uh, so Prabhupada's making the point that when we are Krishna conscious and experiencing that reciprocation with Krishna, Krishna is also purifying our intelligence and, we, and apparent contradictions become quite easy to adjust. But if, we, but if we're just depending on our, 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 our mind and intelligence without the help of God, without um, performing devotional service, then it's easy to become bewildered. That makes sense. So we don't say don't study. We we Prabhupada wrote all these books for us to study and and to question, and to ask questions and to clarify doubts. But in the overall context of performing bhakti, any thoughts so far? Because I, I wanted to develop this this point a, a bit because I think it's important to us. But Andy, a microphone. I think I think that's one reason why the. Uh, you want to call them scientists, can't believe that this is a science because it's said that you have to accept that it's inconceivable. Oh, okay. Scientists well, can't accept that because they'll say anything, like the theory of everything, string theory, it's inconceivable to us now, but 10,000 years from now we might we'll be figure able, it out. They, they won't accept in, inconceivability as a given. Well, it's interesting you brought that up because that was going to be my next point. That No, no, it's great, right? It, it's... Um, because in, inconceivability should learn to lead to humility, right? I don't know. Right, I don't fully know. I may know some things, right? Or, yes, yeah, so, and that was, you know, Srila Prabhupada, since you brought up science, um, that was Srila Prabhupada's concern about science. He wasn't dead against science per se. Like, for example, uh, I had minimally invasive open heart surgery some years ago. I'm very glad that science... Uh, progressed to that. When my father had the same surgery, they cut open his whole chest, you know, from out the bottom here, just this much, and, you know, two and a half weeks later, I was back at work, and, you know, 
like that. So the, 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 one of the challenges, one of the main challenges with you know, science, and of course that's a huge topic, it's not just one thing, is when it, um, when we, we call it sometimes mission creep, Right or or the, the way they talk about these things, they you know stay in your lane. You've heard that that you know when it goes into theology and spirituality uh, and and so forth. You know uh, when you understand, so that science can be very helpful, and some scientists are 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 devotees, of course. But um, when it you know one sees a uh, phenomena in this world, and then therefore there is no God, or therefore how could this, right, et cetera. So that's, that's uh, one of the challenges. But thank you for bringing up the word inconceivable because another part of dealing with seeming contradictions is Lord Chaitanya's teachings, achintya beda abeda tattva, right? Inconceivably, simultaneously, one and different. <laughs> you know, even, even just hearing that is enough to go, really? But when you think about it, it's, it's, it's a brilliant way of seeing this world and dealing with this world. So inconceivably, simultaneously. And, that, and especially that, I mean, one main way that that's applied is who we are. And that's, and Prabhupada would so nicely say, part and parcel. Right? So we're part of God and we're separate. Both. Right? We come from him and we have the super soul inside our heart and we're a parcel. Right, so yes, inconceivably, simultaneously, one and different. Now, another the, one of the main times Prabhupada would talk about seeming contradictions is from the Sri uh, Ishopanishad. Uh, okay, so I'm just going to read this. This is uh, from Prabhupada's writings. These matters are discussed thoroughly in the Vedic literatures. For example, it is said that although God has no hands or legs, He can accept whatever we offer. Apanipado. Uh, um, Javano Grihita. It is also stated that although God has neither eyes nor ears, he can see and hear everything. These are apparent contradictions, but they are meant to teach us an important lesson. When we speak of seeing, we think of material vision. Due to our material conception, we think that the eyes of God must be like ours. Therefore, in order to remove these material conceptions, the Vedic literatures say that God has no hands, legs, ears, eyes, etc., God has eyes, but his vision is infinite. He can see in darkness. He can see everywhere at once. Therefore, he has different eyes. Similarly, God has ears and can hear. He may be in his kingdom millions and millions of miles away, but he can hear us whispering. Because he is sitting within. We cannot avoid God seeing, hearing, or touching. So this is the, the uh, when, I, when I typed in apparent contradiction, I think it comes up 59 times, the word combination. But most of them were about the, either of these two points. The, this sixth, uh, fourth chapter, oh no, that was sixth chapter. The previous one was sixth chapter, verse eight. And this point from the uh, uh, apparent contradictions that you know, God has no ears, no eyes, no, but that he has no material ones, right? So it's... Uh, it's important to, if we do have some doubts or we do seek some contradictions, to bring them up to, uh, in discussion with devotees. Not in a challenging, like, what is this nonsense, right? No, but like, I, you know, uh, how, how can I understand this? Uh, one very practical, practical thing that, you know, comes up sometimes 
is Prabhupada's both, of course, stressing pure devotional service and stressing Varnashrama. And you could, you could look at them as kind of, because pure devotional service is all about sarvopadi vinyamuktam, giving up our upadis, I'm not a man, I'm not a woman, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm just Krishna's pure servant. And then, you know, Varnashram saying, well, you, you, you fall into these different categories, and if you do those dutifully, it can help you lead towards pure devotion. So, but you were saying, well, you're giving, giving designations, you're getting rid of designations, right? You know, that's, that's one um, apparent contradiction, but they, they can be, you know, easily explained. Um, I, I, I didn't look it up, although if somebody wants to look up, I think it's uh, chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, where in one, I brought this up before, in one purport, Prabhupada's talking about how soft-hearted Arjuna is, and that's a sign of a great devotee. And in the next purport, or the previous one, I can't remember which comes first, he's saying that Arjuna is in material consciousness. And I think I may, may have mentioned this before, when I first read that, you know, as Bhakta Brian, uh, I was like, I was totally, like, I almost wanted to just close the Bhagavad Gita and say, I forget, you know, check out Judaism or something, <laughs> you know, or something like that. But then when I spoke to a devotee, you know, that devotee explained to me that, you know, the way that Prabhupada often speaks is he's making one point from one context in one purport and making a different point, one about material consciousness and one about Vaishnava compassion. And they're not, you know, it's just making a different point in a different place. And, uh, and I've read this to you before, but, uh, and I don't have the exact quote here, I won't try to bring it up, but that uh, quote that I read from uh, Thoreau, uh, Henry David Thoreau, that, uh, that uh, a foolish consistency is a hobgoblin of small minds, <laughs> right? And then he quotes Jesus and Pythagoras and this and that, and he said, to be great is to be misunderstood, <laughs> right? And then, you know, because Prabhupada would talk according to, t sometimes when he's especially talking to devotees and time, place, and circumstance. So it takes some maturity and some association to deal with what may be seeming contradictions. But our, our uh, conviction is that they can, be, uh, they can be explained rationally, but also some things are, as uh, Andy's pointing out, inconceivable. So some thoughts on apparent contradictions? Yes? It's uh, I recall one statement of Prabhupada where he says the sign of intelligence is to accommodate two opposing points of view at the same time. Yes, where did you hear that? From my Guru Maharaj. Right, okay. Well, it's funny. <laughs> Just a little story about misquoting Prabhupada. So your Guru Maharaj heard that from another sannyasi, I won't mention his name. And that sannyasi was misquoting Prabhupada. It was actually from S. Scott Fitzgerald. He said that. But uh, this, this sannyasi keeps on quoting Prabhupada said that. <laughs> but actually, it's from F. F. Scott Fitzgerald. But it's a good point, regardless of who said it. It's a good point to be able to uh, reconcile things, yes. <laughs> but we, you know, we, uh, can other people think of contradictions that you've come across, that you have dealt with? Yes? Oh yeah, get a mic and then you're, okay, well, go ahead first, oh. and then Jiva. Hare Krishna, I was going to say the Bhagavad Gita, is one of the principles is non-violence, and it takes place in war. <laughs> Fantastic, yes, and, and you know, was, I'm really glad you brought that up, I was just, uh, I did a lot of driving the other day, I drove from Muskogee, Oklahoma to Dallas, Texas, was in Dallas for two hours, and then drove back. 
<laughs> so eight hours of driving, two hours in Dallas. Um, and I was just, so I, I had this, um, anyone buy those machines in Mayapur where it just has all of Prabhupada's lectures on it? Yeah? So I had that playing. Uh, and one of the uh, questions was asked to Prabhupada just at that point. Um, and yes, so isn't that interesting? The word ahimsa appears, I think, five times in the Bhagavad Gita. And Shanti, I think, six or seven times. And yet, where is he talking? Um, you know, you could, you, could, you could imagine, you know, in somebody's minds, it's a little bit like Chitra Ketu Maharaj seeing, you know, uh, uh, Lord Shiva preaching about, you know, to sannyasis, to renunciates, and has his wife on his lap. So here you're talking about nonviolence and peace, and you're in the middle of this huge, huge war, right? So that's a very, that's a very good point. Um, how do we deal with that? There's no what? There's no war, no war rhetoric. The yeah. Uh huh. In Bhagavad Gita, it's about the self-realization. You could say that, although how many times does Krishna say, "Stand and fight"? Huh? That's a prescribed duty for Arjuna. Yes, that's one way. That's one of the best ways that, you know, for us, stand and fight is you know, um, go fix, oh, go write software, and chant Hare Krishna, or you know. Go worship, you know, whatever our duty, our prescribed duty is. It just so it happens that Arjuna was a Chatriya, right? But it 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 is one of the trickier things to explain in light of so many um, terrible things and wars have been started in the name of religion, right? So it is one of the trickier things. To explain, well, no, but God, it was God telling Arjuna to fight. Well, you know, people say God was telling so-and-so to, you know, do stupid things, right? So it is one of the trickier things, but really it's a, it, it, it is only superficially, as Jiva is pointing out, that Krishna is telling Arjuna to, you know, commit violence, but rather he's, tell, he's talking about the uh, importance of our doing our duty. Of course, another point is, which Prabhupada brought up in this lecture I was talking about was that that the Pandavas made, he said, every attempt possible to not fight um, before it became inevitable. Krishna himself tried to mediate, right? And they said, just give us five villages. I mean, can you imagine you have the whole world and, right, or even just say all of America and all you're asking for is, you know, Potomac and, uh, and Rockville and Silver Spring, and you know, like five places. <laughs> yeah, the rest of the country, <laughs> right? But what did the Korvas say? Well, we, we won't give you as much as what? Yeah, then the, as much land as a needle takes up when you put it in the soil. <laughs> so that's so there are. Uh, I was listening to Prabhupada, you know, explaining this very point that someone brought up. Yeah, but that's that's a good example. Yajiva? Apparent contradiction. So again, even in DT worship, we see that. The place has to be clean, and yet there is charmer, there is, you know, more punk, you know, the fan from the peacock feather, and then the conch shell, which is bones, right? Right, right. So. That, that's another good example, right? The conch shell, and probably brings up cow dung, right? Uh, that 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 the the uh, the stool of an animal is, like, right? But cow dung is considered antiseptic. Yeah. Did you have? 
also violence is needed to protect the innocent too at yes. certain times it's not like what ahimsa is talking about is unnecessary aggression is not Good needed point. but there is violence needed to safeguard the innocent people yeah that's another yes that's another important explanation yeah and i was thinking it was interesting because i was in this lecture Prabhupada was saying that sometimes um i think it I think he said he was criticized, but I also have heard him say his Guru Maharaj was criticized for creating pacifists. You know, people that just can't do anything in the world, but just, you know, like this. And, and Prabhupada, I remember one time saying, have you not heard of Arjuna? Right? So, so at one point he says that we want to train, we train the devotees in nonviolence, but if necessary, we train them to kill. Now, if you only took that sentence out of context, yeah, you have a whole jihad thing going, right? But then if you listen to the rest of the lecture, he's a, but he goes on about devotees are nonviolent, you know, we don't even kill animals, we try to avoid even ants, and he goes to that whole thing, but he's just making this one point, but it's easy to take anything out of context, right? Like, you know, Srila Prabhupada says, uh, sense gratification is very wonderful if you want to remain a dog, hog, camel, or ass. And then, you, but you just quote, Prabhupada said, sentence gratification is wonderful. Right? So there's also, there's also that side of things. But it's, it's, uh, it is important that when we do have some questions, some doubts, that we approach a devotee and try to clarify them. Because for, uh, what did, uh, was it Krishna said? For the doubting soul, there is happiness neither in this life nor the, nor the next. I don't know if I ever told this story here. Did I? Perhaps I did tell this story here. I, one time I was going out on Sankirtan by myself uh, to the Detroit airport, distribute books at the airport, and somehow I just got totally overwhelmed by doubts. Just like, I, just like what am I doing? Why, don't I, why, did I, why did I drop out of school? And why am I, you know... <laughs> wearing these funny robes, and, you know, just like everything. You know, what the hell am I doing this for? But, I, but you know, I was just, and I was just like a wet noodle, you know, because I was in the car. I still remember I was in the parking lot of the, of the airport, and I was just like, you know. You know, and I was thinking, and then I, later when it, uh, I, I was thinking that for the doubting soul, there's happiness neither in this world nor the next. Anyway, somehow I got it together and went out on Singerton. But I still remember that to this day. It only happened to me one time like that, just like everything. <laughs> Why am I doing this? What the heck? What did I get myself into here? Right? So it is important to uh, not kind of sweep doubts under the carpet of neglect and hope that they'll go away, but actually to address them. Other contradictions? Yes, Mahamantra or, or questions or comments? Yeah. Prabhu, uh, the last sentence of the last but one paragraph, there is a great plan behind all the Lord's activities. There is a great hand between, that's in the same purport? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, let's, let's read that, that paragraph. Uh, For our understanding, it is sometimes said that the Lord is situated in the heart of a thief as well as in the heart of the householder. But the super soul in the heart of the thief dictates, go and steal things from that particular house. That's not, well, that's not... Well, anyway, we'll read this one anyway. Just before that. Oh, yes, yes, I know. 
Uh, uh, but I'll read this one anyway, then we'll go back to that. And at the same time, the Lord tells the householders, now be careful of thieves and burglars. These instructions to different persons appear contradictory, yet we should know that the super soul, the supreme personality of God, has some plan, and we should not consider such activities contradictory. The best course is to surrender to the supreme personality of God wholeheartedly, uh, and being protected by him, remain peaceful. So, of course, it's not just the super soul dictating, it's our desire and the super soul overseeing and permitting. We know that from other places. And then, yes, there is a great plan behind all the Lord's activities. So it's a, whole, it's a very different consciousness looking at Krishna's activities with shraddha, with faith, uh, and looking at them kind of like a, as a, uh, as a you know, um, licking the outside of the bar of uh, honey, as George Harrison writes in the... Introduction to the Krishna book. Right. Yes. Wait. Could you pass the microphone behind you? Oh, I am not finished. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Please. No. Go ahead. No. Finish. Go ahead. So, there. This to understand this, uh, there are two ways. I, one is like Krishna spontaneously performs his activities. Right. But at the same time, multiple things are uh, accomplished. And the Right. Which is the correct one, but the other one is like, is it so like Krishna plans first and then the activity happens, the pastime happens? Oh, I'd have to ask him that question. <laughs> uh, but it is said, what, 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 what was the word we were talking about this last week? Satya Sankalpa, thank you. Right, yes, but just by Krishna's desire, Everything takes place. Uh, if he needs the plan, I, that's that's up to him. But certainly, his plans are probably very different. Plan making is very different than ours. I need to give this answer. Like, so can you give an example? <laughs> I need to answer this question. So, says Krishna. We all, we often say Krishna has a plan, right? We we just read that. There's a great plan. But your question is, does he really have to meditate on that plan? It, it happens, you know, he doesn't have to plan like you and I plan. Right. So, he doesn't have to have a board meeting, he could have flip, char flip, right. flip charts yeah. and uh, have a mission and statement, a vision conclusion. statement, aims, objectives, smart goals. And then, you know, reassess the plan three months later and see how it went and did... did uh, did everything work out, or do we have to adjust the plan now that the market has changed? <laughs> yeah. yeah, risk management and uh, have an ombudsman. Uh, um, but he he was not convinced, and I can't go further. Like I don't know how to explain. For me, it is very clear. Like so, what their what's their concern? What's their, the thing that's that's blocking their? Like for everything we plan. Right. And even after planning, things don't work. That's his uh, point. But you are saying, Lord, like, eh, whatever he's doing, there is a perfect plan behind that. So well, the, it, although we do hear in the Shastra about different levels of plans, right? The, certainly in the spiritual world, it's all being orchestrated by Krishna and, and Yogamaya, and uh, who's in charge of Yogamaya and Vrindavan? Purnamasi and Brinda Devi, right? And there's a whole there's a whole symphony going on there that's all perfectly planned, right? But in this world, 
Krishna gives, as part of his plan, he gives uh, conditioned souls free will to make their own plans, right? So you can't say, you know, it's being orchestrated in the exact... His, his plan is that he gives us free will and it's up to us whether we exercise that to serve him or to serve his illusory energy, right? So it's a different, uh, it's a different setup and things like that. But in, certainly in the spiritual world, Satya Sankalpa totally reigns supreme, you know, just by his desire things happen. And even in this world, if he has a certain desire, it certainly will happen. For example, the, you know, the yugas happen one after another because he set up that system. And we're in Kali Yuga now, so everything's a mess, but that's part of the uh, giving us free will to act. And we just happen to be born now in Kali Yuga. But, you know, did, did, um, was it part of Krishna's plan that, you know, the Redskins are a terrible football team? I mean, you know, right? I mean, it, it's not really, you know, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the activities and the karma of the owner and the players and the fans and other cities and all, that, all kinds of stuff that goes on in the material world. But, you know, therefore it's a little important as, as devotees not to just like, uh, oh, that's Krishna's plan. That's Krishna. That's Krishna's plan. You know, that's Krishna's plan. But you know, also see that it's also uh, sometimes when, like you know, if you put if you were cooking sweet rice, and you use salt instead of sugar, you wouldn't want to go. Oh, it's Krishna's plan. Prabhupada told, "Don't blame your nonsense on Krishna." Yeah. yeah. Is that all right? You wanted to say something, then we'll get to you. Yes, go ahead. And on this point, I was just yeah, I was just reminded of um, you know this part in the eleventh chapter of Bhagavad Gita where Krishna talks about what is the plan of the Lord for you know this world, which is you know basically to reclaim the conditioned souls back. Like that's the main right. plan. So like sometimes you know we think something is not working, <laughs> but actually it's so perfect according to what the world is meant for. Well, yeah, and it's interesting because yeah. in, he says that, and he also says other places that it's just meant to give conditioned souls a chance to do whatever. Yes? Muslims have a very uh, interesting term for God's, God's will, excuse for things a lot of times. Anyone know what that is? No. Yeah, we, you know, we do. What's that? Well, the Muslims say, they say something in reference to Anshallah, right? Anshallah. What does that mean? It means... In God, God's will, as God, God's as God will. wills it. Yeah, and they and, and you can use it for, like you're saying, for um, the wrong for for easy yeah. reasons. I'm late, sorry. Yeah, but I it, I just slashed my boss's tires. Yeah, inshallah, sure. yeah. But my that's not my comment though. Um, so you mentioned sweeping under the rug. Uh, reading all the Vedic literature, Panishads, Bhagavatam, there are a lot of I wouldn't even use the word contradictions, although certainly a lot of contradictions, but, but simply things that you don't understand or honestly things that you, you may not even agree with. Uh, I mean, our human minds are still calculating these things on our human mind basis, not from our, our soul's basis. And uh, so I would be interested in your, in your comments and thoughts and others as well. Is, uh, so you have, these, uh, you have these doubts or you have these contradictions and there's a possibility just to say, I don't understand it, and not, not sweep it under the rug and forget it, but uh, just to simply say, I don't understand this. I, I don't agree with it. That doesn't, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I don't, I don't understand this contradiction. I don't agree, perhaps. Uh, 
you know, it doesn't resonate with me. And just to say, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Because I'm not going to understand everything. I, I don't even try to. I actually try to keep it as simple as possible and say, I accept that. I accept that I don't know that. Right. I accept that I don't agree with that and I'm not in the judgment business. So I, there's an alternative to sweeping it under the rug and just saying, I don't get it, it's okay, and I'm moving on with what I, what I do resonate with. I, I, I think that's a very healthy attitude. You know, we're talking, oh, thank you, Pooh. He's really making sure I'm hydrated. Uh, must be Krishna's plan. Inshallah. I think that, you know, there's different discussions that go on at different times. So what you, what you just said, I think, is a wonderful point in the company of mature devotees. Right? That, that, because I think that is the reality, that we might read some things that, you know, like, for example, for some of us, the fifth canto. Although I don't have any problem with the fifth canto, especially I've been spending time with uh, devotees in the BI recently. And, and their explanations have really satisfied my, my intellect. But yeah, to say, well, you know, I do, to be honest, I, you know, I do struggle with this one, and that's all right, Ram Ram. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, let me pick up my beads. And, and a, a, you know, probably a good attitude is there probably is a really good explanation for this or another way to see this. Um, and uh, time may, ex uh, I may learn that in time. But for now, yes. Price the mic to Ram Brew. As a person who's been a theologian for a long time, this is this is what you're talking about. is is not just a, a hold the mic like It's not just a Krishna conscious issue. You know, there's so much in Catholicism and Christianity and other religions that are mysteries, or they seem to be mysteries and um, and conceivable, inconceivable, and um, it's re revealed knowledge. You know, and it, it even though some things are not conceivable by the human mind. They are perceivable according to revelation. These are these are revealed knowledge. The curtain goes up when our heart is in the right place. Um, mm -hmm. Krishna does reveal certain things to us. And and as this person said, yeah, it's a question of just trusting that um, there is a there is a uh, answer that will be satisfying when I'm ready to hear it, when I'm ready to understand it. But um, it is it is a. This is the mystical process of, of spiritual life, is that it's revealed knowledge. It's mm -hmm. not apprehended by our cognitive brain. It's a heart thing. Right. And as our heart surrenders and softens, it opens. And then we start to see things right in front of us that we couldn't see yesterday because uh, it's like a holographic universe, the spiritual world. It's right here in front of us. It's so far away we can't see it uh, because it's so close. <laughs> right. I you. I was thinking of Jimmy Cliff. I can see clearly now the rain. Um, yes, and so it's important that the two really wonderful comments we just heard are taken within a certain context also. Generally, things are quite easily understood, explained, and you know, we're not our body, we're the soul inside the body, Krishna is the Lord, material nature, this is a place of suffering and all. But you know, there are details that are the kind of things that we're talking about now. I'd say the the general Krishna conscious Siddhanta uh, Sambandha Gyan is uh, any of us could repeat quite lucidly. Right? Is that fair to say that? But then there are things. And then there's also things that uh, 
Well, we don't want to get you know too into this without kind of this is a big topic, but since we're talking, of course, a lot of people hear these lectures outside of the group. <laughs> but um, there are there's a discussion going on among senior devotees, and it's probably been going on for 30 years now, of how to take how to have faith in Prabhupada's words naturally, and at the same time deal with certain things that just didn't seem accurate. Like, you know, he heard when he went to Scottish Church's college from some professor that, you know, that the women's, that the, the so many ounces of woman's brain and so many ounces of man's brain, and at least modern science shows that that was not accurate. Prabhupada was just repeating, you know, wasn't even repeating the Vedas. So you had to deal with, you know, a small, a small percentage of things like that in light of, you know, having faith in the spiritual master and, and all that, um, which we, you know, we could have a whole seminar on that. Um, but uh, Prabhupada, obviously, when he's when he's repeating when he's you know repeating the Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita, and also when he's you know speaking about Krishna consciousness in general, then the, of course um, it's all a thousand percent accepted. When there's certain things that he may comment in this world, um, you know we have to look at that and see. Of course, the main thing that is understanding uh, the motivation behind any time Prabhupada was speaking. The motivation was to help us become Krishna conscious and spread Krishna consciousness. Did you want to comment on that, Rambu? I, I would agree with you. I think that you have to think of what was the goal, and if the goal is to help us develop love of God, does it really matter about the brain size? And I mean, these are just comments. They're not... You know, they, right. Yeah. It was, it was, you know how, could you imagine how hard it was to be Prabhupada and have a microphone in front of your, you 24-7? You know, could you imagine uh, that? But it wasn't 24-7, but it was very, 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 very often. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's actually amazing. Um, when you think about it, when you listen, if you, you listen to his room conversations, you listen to his morning walks, and how anyone can just all day long talk about God, like all the time, <laughs> you know, like nonstop. It's it's quite amazing. And then also, yeah, so many things are amazing. And to be seventy plus years old and talking to teenagers and twenty somethings, and trying to make you know, and getting them to surrender fully to God, to Krishna, and to His service, and to learn the Vedic literature from absolutely nothing from hippies. It's, it's amazing what he had to accomplish in 11 short years. Amazing. Well, we've gotten far. We've read two verses, and it's 11.30, but we will, shall we sally forth? The great Saint Maitreya continued to address Vidura. This is the next chapter. Uh, my dear Vidura, at that time, after the planet Earth finished her prayers, King Prithu was still not... I mean, even somebody... How can planet Earth say prayers? Right? I mean, you know... Right? Because <laughs> right? you know, uh, it's interesting, right? After years of study, you say, well, of course planet Earth saying prayers. But, you know, to a new person, it's like, huh? Oh. Uh, King Prithu was still not pacified, and his lips trembled in great anger because he didn't get what he wanted yet. He still hasn't gotten a solution to, his, to the praja being um, uh, hungry. Although the planet Earth was frightened, she made up her mind and began to speak as follows in order to convince the king. My dear Lord, 
Please pacify your anger completely and hear patiently what I submit before you. Please turn your attention to this. I may be very poor, but a learned man takes the essence of knowledge from all places, just as a bumblebee collects honey from each and every flower. To benefit all human society, not only in this life, but in the next, the great seers and sages have prescribed various methods conducive to the prosperity of all the people in general. One who follows the principles and instructions enjoined by the great sages of the past can utilize these instructions for practical purposes. Such a person can very easily enjoy life and pleasures. Prabhupada writes, the word avara, meaning inexperienced, is very significant in this verse. Every conditioned soul is inexperienced. Everyone is abodhajata. What does that mean? Abodhajata. What's that? Jata means born. What? Born a fool and rascal. Very good. <laughs> born a fool and rascal. You read the next... Uh, <laughs> yes. In democratic government... Now, listen to this. This was written, what, like 1970-something something, and apply it to today. In democratic government, at the present moment, all kinds of fools and rascals are making decisions. Now, I'm not just talking about, you know, we can apply it to any administration. I'm not making a political statement here. Um... And Prabhupada was probably thinking more about India than, you know, he was, you know, whatever. Or who knows, this was the fourth canto. He'd been traveling around the world a lot by then. Um, but what can they do? What is the result of their legislation? They enact something today just to whimsically repeal it tomorrow. Now, isn't that pretty funny? Right now they're talking about repealing the Affordable Care Act. And even, I thought it was really interesting when, um, when, president, when our present president wanted to make some emergency um, dictates, right, you know, about the wall. I was just in El Paso, by the way. I saw it. it wasn't, it's, right now it's just like a small fence. <laughs> but anyway, um, then some people, then some of the other, other Republicans said, well, what are we going to do because you're giving more power to the president? What's going to happen when a Democrat becomes president? <laughs> so it's exactly what Prabhupada's saying here, right? What is, the result, what is the result of their legislation? They enact something today just to whimsically repeal it tomorrow. One political party utilizes the country for one purpose, and the next moment, another political party forms a different type of government and nullifies all the laws and regulations. I mean, it's, like, <laughs> it's like deja vu all over again, right? Yeah. <clears throat> this process of chewing the chewed, puna punas charvita charvinanam, will never make human society happy. In order to make all human society happy and prosperous, we should accept the standard methods given by liberated persons. So in many places, Prabhupada talks about government. And it's so foreign to what's happening in Kaliva to just to think that a government should have a person in charge who's guided by detached, saintly people whose only concern is the welfare of the people. And, you know, that, that's so far from reality now, it, you can't even really wrap your mind around it, right? First of all, finding the, those saintly people. <laughs> and then secondly, finding someone who's going to listen to them, <laughs> right? With a totally different goal, right? The promises are all... Um, I just spent a week in Oklahoma, and it's very interesting. Very, very different mindset of people there than in a place like Washington, D.C. I mean, it might as well be another country. You know, uh, very, very different. But um, but the idea of actually have, you know having a 
just what you know the Vedic ideal is so far from where we are today. It's just eons and eons away. And you know, we sometimes hear this chewing the chewed, and and for those of us, you know, the idea of the example that's often given is of sugar cane, right? You chew the sugar cane, and you really just have left the, you know, whatever you would call it, the string or whatever, and then someone comes along and. But I, I, I know this may be even more disgusting, but, uh, just, but it, just to drive home how heavy this statement is, chewing the chewed, uh, in present day context, at least in America, it's like you know you had bubble gum and you chewed it and then you put it under your desk in school and someone comes along the next semester, <laughs> right? But that's really what, <laughs> sorry Henry, he's such a cultured person. <laughs> But that's, that's how strong, isn't this Prahlad Maharaj saying this? Yeah, Prahlad Maharaj saying chewing the chewed. You know, and it just goes round and round. And then, you know, um, yeah. So um, very strong words by Prabhupada, but really quite almost prophetic in, uh, in what the kind of things that we're dealing with today. By the way, the word abodhajatta comes from the uh, fifth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, it's a real easy verse to remember. Uh, canto 5, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 5. 555. Five, five. begins. And this, the, the translation is As long as one does not inquire about the spiritual values of life, one is defeated and subjected to miseries arising from ignorance. <coughs> Any thoughts on this? So really, in, in a large way, we, and I've spoken to my wife about this, you know, we try to make sure that this temple is uh, politically unaligned, right? In terms of, you know, we don't come here and say, yay for this side or yay for that side. We, um, we uh, keep a kind of a neutral ground in terms of that. Of course, we, there are certain things that we would like to see. <laughs> Some of them like, you know, like, yeah, like forget about it, right? Like ending cow slaughter. That would be on, probably on the top of our uh, In God We Trust uh, political party. <laughs> probably wouldn't be a big election camp. We'd have all the McDonald's and Burger King out protesting in front of the temple, you know, uh, <laughs> or, or whatever. But, you know, there's certain um, things like that, and or at least government regulating other sinful activities. Sometimes Prabhupada would talk about that as, as a helpful thing. So... Um, um, and what, one thing that I found was interesting is, um, I, I can just say that where I work, at least in a small group that I work, it's very um, kind of liberal-minded people. We would use the word liberal, and you know, we would probably say more Democrat. And it was so interesting being in Oklahoma for a week, and a very, very different mindset. Very, very pro uh, pre the president, president, and things like that. And 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 them pointing out the things that really they don't like about big city liberals, you know, and lots of big city liberals looking at them and saying, you know, who are these? And I won't say the word, but you know, these these we could just say not as educated as them kind of people, right? And it's and really both is just material. Yeah, they call them Oki. Yeah, yeah. But they call themselves Oki sometimes. Yeah. Oki from Muskogee. I was in Muskogee. That's where I was. Actually, there's a whole song about it. 
Um, but anyway, the point is that, you know, we, Prabhupada would often kind of say pretty accurately that, you know, everyone's kind of a rascal in some ways. <laughs> and really to go above all this. And, and so for devotees to get so caught up in the present politics is really missing the boat of how short our human form of life is and how important it is to focus on Krishna consciousness. Because really now in the last three or four years more than ever, you could just be totally absorbed in the politics and the news. It's just become, you know, so overwhelming. And so, you know, what I was doing is, I think I told you, I was just getting this one email from, uh, you know, once, once a day that gives a summary of the uh, news. But the past week or two, I've even deleted that without reading it. <laughs> You know, whatever. Okay, any thoughts on Abhoda Jato? Yes. Microphone? Yeah, I just, I just think a very important statement was just made in Prabhupada. I just wanted to underscore it. Okay. He wasn't saying, we think of politics as like a zero-sum game. We win, they lose, or right. they win, we lose. But right. he was saying the aggregate. One one party is doing one thing and the other one undoes it and vice versa. So the problem is the aggregate, whichever one is in control now, in the aggregate it has no goals. It has no firm goals, Either even if you don't like those goals. Right. You don't always get conservative. You don't always get liberal. It's just the in the aggregate it's just a big mess going back right. and forth. And it's, yes, now you're talking my language. That's, I mean, in terms of my profession, that's what I would do. I would say there's probably some good things in this side and there's some good things in this side. And if you, and if you the other problem is like almost practically right after you're elected, you're already worried about being reelected. And therefore you're just trying to pacify people instead of do what's right all the time. Right? You know, and if, but if actually people really did as Prabhupada is saying, is really were concerned about the welfare of humanity, or at least the, the, the people in the country, then there's probably you know some good things um, on both sides and some bad things. It's, a, it's something that I teach called polarity management, where you learn to take the good from both polarities and avoid the bad from both polarities. Um, and uh, but anyway, it was, it was just eye-opening for me to be in a different uh, place that has a very very different mindset than uh, living in the Washington D.C. area, for the most part. Shall we continue? A foolish person who manufactures his own ways and means through mental speculation and does not recognize the authority of the sages who lay down unimpeachable directions is simply unsuccessful again and again in his attempts. So this is still Bhumi, kind of like, she's a little preachy, but she's, you know, she's talking to Prithu Maharaj. My dear king, the seed, now she's getting into the details, the seeds, roots, herbs, um, and grains which were created by Lord Brahma in the past are now being used by non-devotees who are devoid of all spiritual understanding. My dear king, not only are the grains and herbs being used by non-devotees, but as far as I am concerned, I am not being properly maintained. Indeed, I am being neglected by kings who are not punishing these rascals who have turned into thieves by using grains for sense gratification. Consequently, I've hidden all these seeds which were meant for the performance of sacrifice. So, of course, she's talking about King Vena, uh, Prithu's so-called father and others in the past, right? 
Due to being stocked for a very long time, all the grain seeds within me have certainly deteriorated. Therefore, you should immediately arrange to take these seeds out by the standard process, which is recommended by the Acharyas and Shastra. Prabhupada writes, when there is a scarcity of grain, the government should follow the methods prescribed in Shastra and approved by the Acharyas. Thus, there will be a sufficient production of grains and food scarcity and famine can be checked. Bhagavad Gita recommends that we perform jagna, sacrifices. By the performance of jagnas, sufficient clouds gather in the sky, and when there are sufficient clouds, there is also sufficient rainfall. In this way, agricultural matters are taken care of. When there is sufficient grain production, the general populace eats the grains, and animals like cows, goats, and other domestic animals eat the grasses and grains also. According to this arrangement, human beings should perform the sacrifices recommended in the Shastra, and if they do so, there will no longer be food scarcity. In Kali Yuga, the only sacrifice recommended is Sankirtan Yagna. Then he writes, of course, now of course atheists will not believe in this spiritual method of producing grains, but whether they believe it or not, the fact remains that we are not independent to produce grains by mechanical means. Whereas Prabhupada would often say, you cannot eat nuts and bolts. Right? So uh, it's a nice point that, okay, so you know, you, you may not agree that, you know, the best way to make sure that there's grains and rains and prosperity is to perform sacrifice. But still, it is a fact that no one is independent to produce uh, grains by mechanical means. Right? And that came up recently in... Um, Iowa and other places when they had this, this very bad weather the last few weeks, and they were saying that because of this bad weather, the, uh, the food production in those areas is going to be greatly hampered this year. Right? So, you know, you can have the best uh, tractors in the world, right? Um, and if there's no rain, what to do? Right? I, when I was in uh, El Paso recently, the Rio Grande River is not very grand. It's like it's like about this wide. <laughs> you know, they've had, it's, it gets funneled off in so many different places before it reaches. And they try to make sure that no water goes to Mexico, <laughs> basically, because you know El Paso is the last stop before the river goes into Mexico. Um, but it's a, so a little explanation about this point from a Vedic point of view. Um, this is, so I'm going to read just about a paragraph, but listen carefully. This is the Vedic version. This is from a commentary in the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita by Burijan Prabhu. Everyone is dependent on food grains. Grains grow from the earth, but their growth is dependent on rain, right? Any, any argument there? Rain comes from the performance of yagnas offered to Indra. Now he's talking about traditionally in the Vedic times. You know, We don't see a lot of people doing Indra yagnas. Um, in Iowa and Oklahoma. Maybe Oklahoma, no. Uh, <laughs> the inspiration and direction to perform such sacrifice comes from the Vedas, because the Vedas prescribe one's, uh, describe one's prescribed duties. The followers of the Vedic system, which is what being, is being described by Bhumi here, by earth, the earth, uh, the followers of the Vedic system, therefore, perform sacrifices to Indra, which result in rains, which produce the grains that we all depend upon. The Vedas come directly from Lord Vishnu's breathing. Thus, the link is established for an attached materialist. Dependence on food ultimately means dependence on Vishnu. So that's the link that we try to make ultimately. And that, that's from the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. But also Bhumi is making here. 
Any comments on this verse? Amatabu? I like this sentence. According to Vedic understanding, men are transformed into thieves when they plan economic development. What's that now? According to Vedic understanding, men are transformed into thieves when they plan economic development for sense gratification. Oh, yeah. So then Prabhupada talks about prasadam. Yes, he talks about prasadam. There's one yeah. really nice thing about prasadam a little bit later. Um, I think we'll get to it. Anyway, I just, since it's on verse 18, it says, If one is habituated to taking the prasad of Lord Vishnu, there is no chance of him becoming a ghost or anything lower than a human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least we're doing that right. <laughs> Even if we're messing every day, with it, we're probably a little habituated to taking prasadam. So. <laughs> so, therefore, make sure that you're always taking prasadam. Don't just, you know, just before you're about to eat something, go, oh, Shri Vishnu, Shri Vishnu. <laughs> so, what verse were we, did we just finish? Uh, eight. No, yeah. O great hero, protector of living entities, if you desire to relieve the living entities by supplying them sufficient grain, and if you desire to nourish them by taking milk from me, you should make arrangements to bring a calf suitable for the purpose and a pot in which the milk can be kept, as well as a milkman to do the work. Since uh, Since I will be very much affectionate towards my calf, your desire to take milk from me will be fulfilled. So now we are talking metaphorically. Okay, that's important to point that out. And I'll read a little something about this whole section here from verse 12 to 27, okay? So, and this is, um, again, from um, Burry Jampu's book uh, called uh, Unveiling His Lotus Feet. It's just one paragraph, but it helps us understand the whole context of these next 16 verses, okay? Brihaspati, Indra, Ditti, sons, the inhabitants of Gandharva Loka, Apsaras, Pitri Loka, uh, Siddha Loka, Vidya, Vidhara Loka, and Kim Purusha Loka, the Yakshas, Rakshashas, ghosts and witches, poisonous snakes and other creatures, four-legged animals, birds and trees, all milked their desires from the earth according to their individual capabilities and needs. One's desires are determined by the material modes with which one associates. associates. By following Prithimaraj, even those with desires born of ignorance, such as Yakshas and Rakshashas, gained from the earth both what they desired and what they needed. Even living entities with such ignorant desires as to drink alcohol were able to gain what they needed from the earth. Thus, while Prithu Maharaj reigned, quote, all the inhabitants of the earth could get their food supply uh, by creating various types of calves and putting their particular types of milk in various pots. So that's the metaphor here. Or the, uh, uh, and, um, yeah, that's that we're going to hear about over the next few verses, right? But it's really these different uh, living entities getting, because uh, the um, in another place, Earth is called Sarvakama Dukamahi, right? The that who um, satisfy all of our needs. And when you think we've talked about this before, but is there anything that we look around that is not produced from the Earth? Is the Mrindanga proof from the earth? Is the iPhone all come from the earth? The, the computer, the, the, the stand, the microphone, the carpet, the, yeah, the cloth that we're wearing, right? 
and what to speak of the food we eat. Right? Is there any food that doesn't directly or indirectly come from the earth? Right? Even if you say you only eat meat, right? The, the, the animals either fed from grass or straw or, or plastic, <laughs> you know. But doesn't pretty much everything come from the earth? Drinking water. Okay, yeah. It's on the earth now, but it comes, okay. How long can you live just on drinking water? Two weeks, maybe? Three weeks, yeah. Okay, so really, you know, so we get the point, right? That uh, we should be kind to Mother Earth. <laughs> you, I think you all know my wife. Sometimes she can't control herself. So she was at a... Uh, at a, a, some bit, uh, some kind of political meeting with uh, the governor's office and things like that in um, uh, Annapolis the other day, and at the end they were serving um, serving food on styrofoam, and she couldn't. She went up to the governor's um, uh, uh, chief of staff and say, "What are you doing? <laughs> you know, what?" I know, no, actually, the, so the chief of staff then introduced the person who was in charge of the program, and they were both like, mm. <laughs> you know, you're right. You know, they actually appreciated that she brought that up, right? right. But uh, this is a whole other topic. But really, we, uh, we are meant, at least in our smaller big ways, to appreciative and care for uh, Mother Earth, yeah, right? And even our, uh, our electricity comes from wind power in this temple. And things like that, partially. Okay. We were just talking about you. Did you hear? I was talking about your, your talk in Annapolis, getting on the styrofoam case. <laughs> I told him you can't control your senses. <laughs> if I would have been there, I would have been like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My dear king, may I inform you that you have to make the entire surface of the globe level. This will help me. Even when the rainy season has ceased, rainfall comes by the mercy of King Indra. Rainfall will remain on the surface of the globe, always keeping the earth moistened, and thus it will be auspicious for all kinds of production. So it seemed at some point in time, uh, the earth was very mountainous and and, you know, it, when, when things are, you know, just like, uh, what's that famous uh, mountain cliff at Yosemite? What's that called? What? El Capitan, right. So you're probably not going to grow a lot of grains on El Capitan, right? It's just like this, yeah. So, um, so she, he, she also made the point that you need to do some leveling of some things that actually you can do agriculture. After hearing the auspicious and pleasing words of the planet Earth, the king accepted them, right? So finally something practical. So, okay, now he's pacified. He then transformed Swayambhuva Manu into a calf and milked all the er herbs, her some people say herbs, herbs and grains from the earth in the form of a cow, keeping them in his cupped hands. So again, remember, this is metaphorical, or, uh, but the point is that all the Swayambhuva Manu wanted the grains and, and the herbs to feed people, so that happened. Others who were as intelligent as King Prithu also took the essence out of the earthly planet. Indeed, everyone took this opportunity to follow in the footsteps of King Prithu and get whatever he desired from the planet Earth. 
All the great sages transformed Brihaspati into a calf, and making the senses into a pot, they milked all kinds of Vedic knowledge to, to purify words, mind, and hearing. And Prabhupada writes, human society remains satisfied simply by, uh, if human society remains satisfied by taking grains from the planet Earth, as well as other necessities for maintaining the body, society will not be sufficiently prosperous. Humanity must have food for the mind and ear, as well as, uh, as well as for the purpose of vibration. So we need to also, so we need to feed our stomach, but we also need to feed our intellect, feed our mind, feed our consciousness with, with the Shastra, with the holy name. It's part of, it's a different kind of nourishment. In Kali Yuga, skipping a little, uh, if this Vedic Maha Mantra is chanted regularly and heard regularly by the devotional process of Shravanam Kirtanam, it will purify all societies and thus hum humanity will be happy both materially and spiritually. Any thoughts on nourishing the mind and consciousness by hearing? This is an interesting point when he says um, it will purify all societies and I suspect it's not just human societies and uh, the reciprocation between all living, all other plant and animal now I've been thinking all along as we've been talking about this I, uh, I read this morning a uh, excerpt from Hari Sari's a conversation with Prabhupada about um, this very topic and he was Prabhupada was really adamant that in the Vedic times people were not making factories food was coming naturally and the reciprocation between you know how so much of uh, want comes from sound vibration. You know, people are talking all kinds of stuff. Meanwhile, they are not connecting or resonating or in harmony with the environment. Mm. And how, um, and therefore, the trees are dying and and things are getting polluted. And how um, I, w I was thinking about how Aboriginal cultures in every climate here in America, what to speak of the world, they didn't before they even cultivated, they uh, were dependent on roots and thing, herbs and things that they had that knowledge. We have lost that knowledge and a lot of people are going back to foraging and um, there's so much right in front of us that we could eat in our backyard that we don't know about right. and part of that is just having that knowledge and real realization but totally. also that, the, that we, we are in harmony in our own universe how that affects the plants. Yeah. Um, when I was in college, I used to uh, have a garden, and I used to play my guitar to the garden, and uh, because I had heard that it helps the plants grow, and it in fact does. They respond to sound vibrations, vegetables and herbs and that kind of thing. It would depend on the guitar. If you were oh. playing uh, ACDC or Def oh, yeah, Leppard, okay. it may well, not. Well, forget the guitar piece. <laughs> it might not help very much. <laughs> I think that I think that plants do respond to sound right. vibration. Yes. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, so when I grew up, the you know, right now in America, right here in our part of the country, we have like Safeway and Giants and things like that. So when I grew up, there was something called AMP, and as a kid growing up in New York, I thought milk came from an AMP. I didn't know there was cows, and I never, you know, never went to a farm, you know, just uh, the only jungle I ever went to was downtown Manhattan. <laughs> and so we, be, but your point is well taken, that we become so detached 
from actual reality, right? Even we, and even you know, so even people in the cities like, oh, those farmers out there someplace, right? And now, of course, it's become agri-farmers, like, right? And, you know, huge conglomerates buying up the uh, the, the small-time farmers, and uh, yeah, and then and then you get into the whole Monsanto thing, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, on and on. But but yeah, if we lost lost touch with uh, s simple living and high thinking, we become high living, simply thinking, instead of uh, simple living and high thinking. What's that? Yeah, no thinking, right, right. But it's true, we've just become very detached from, you know. And I, I remember just, um, uh, we just had a small, you know, the, uh, there's a community garden near the Dallas Temple and my son was living there at some time. My wife and I visited there for a few weeks. And just, you know, city boy, just just seeing like tomatoes coming up. And so I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. You know, <laughs> like, like it's the most natural thing in the world. But I was so divorced from it my whole, my whole life. You know? And even I found living in Vrindavan, and this will be the last thing we talk about, um, you know, because we say that cows are so much kind of in the mode of goodness right there. And I, and I remember if I was really working on something on my computer or not be able to figure something out or dealing with a conflict or something, I would just take a walk to the Goshala with my beads and just hang out with the cows for a half hour and like, oh, everything's okay in the universe. <laughs> right? Because cows just have a way of just, you know, uh, mellowing, you, uh, mellowing you out. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's um, and that was, you know, Prabhupada's, desire that in addition to trying to, you know, the, the main thing of spreading Krishna consciousness in the cities, that we should uh, have, uh, we should live an exemplary agrarian life and be able to show society how you can live off the land, right? And uh, so it's uh, something that we still need to uh, work on developing. Okay, so we'll end there. What verse was that that we just finished? Okay, so we'll start on 15 next week, and we'll probably uh, finish this, and maybe even the next the, the next chapter is an interesting one, where uh, Indra gets in trouble again. He gets in trouble a lot, right? But um, this time he gets in trouble for um, trying to mess up Prithu Maharaj's 100 horse sacrifices and all that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we'll see. Yes, Mataji? What? I, I didn't hear. Did. She said that oh. Oh, that we consume 25 percent. Yeah, we are a. Uh, yeah. Yes. Very much so. Yeah. What to do? So at least individually, we can be uh, kind to Mother Earth and Krishna conscious at the same time. 